I've had permission from my host to record. Broadcasting worldwide on Internet Radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. All right, welcome everybody to today's episode of Blog Talk on Blog Talk Radio, our Refresh Your Wealth podcast. Um, how's it sounding, Matt? We doing okay? A little yeah, scratchy. we're sounding okay. We're, we're trying to do a lot of things at once here. So, uh, you know, we're coming live on internet radio. We're trying to record this on Zoom for all those on YouTube. Of course, we got to make sure it's nice and clean for those listening on the podcast. Um, but it's live, so the audio could be a little ghetto. Um, it's not as good as we usually do it, but, um, you know, we're just trying to come at you at whatever medium you want to receive Refresh Your Wealth. We're just, we're yeah. trying to serve. <laughs> we're trying to serve. That's, it's kind of, it's the, it's your, we don't know what your love language is. It could be, you know, podcast. It could be YouTube. Zoom. Yeah. It could be YouTube. We're, it could, you could be watching through Facebook, you know. We're just trying to be non-denominational and just take care of you. So uh, thank you, everybody. My name is Mark Kohler, and I've got my amazing co-host, Matt Sorensen. This is a busy day today. This is our live call-in show. We've got a lot of emails to respond to, which is what we're going to primarily focus on today. Uh, some of the questions yeah. are very similar to one another, so we can kind of group them. But the big topic is, Matt, what's the news break this week? This is it. <laughs> Paycheck Protection Program we like to call 3P, um, has released their forgiveness application, right? This is the most important part of 3P. We don't just want to get a loan, right? That, that's great. I can just sign up for debt at the bank. I can whatever, you know, I, I want forgivable debt, and this is the critical component to that is this forgiveness application. So we've got some updates on it. We've had some articles in our newsletter that went out um, uh, in the past 24 hours that you can get information on that. And then we're going to be hitting a lot of those questions. I'd say two-thirds of the questions, if, or if not 90% that came in, are PPP forgiveness – sorry, 3P forgiveness questions. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be – it's really um, – here's the good news. Most of everything we've been saying has been validated under the instructions for the application. But you may say, well, yeah. what's the other part that's not most? We're just saying we still don't have clarity. So we weren't contradicted. <laughs> you may be like, well, yeah. most of it was. What was the part that was wrong? We're not saying anything was yeah. wrong. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. that's, so that's good. We and I, some clarity to provide. Uh, here's a good principle that I've been following in the last few weeks is, is SBA has been releasing stuff. Most of what they've been saying, I felt like, was like the spirit of the law. Like they were trying to take the intent of the law and then create guidelines that meant the spirit of what they were trying to accomplish. And, and that's a good thing. It's kind of killed some of the strategies, which we'll talk about some people were planning to do, like maybe paying yourself a bonus um, as an owner. That's probably not going to fly because they're trying to meet the spirit of the law. And these are some of the guidance items that we got in the forgiveness application. So, um, so but at the end of the day, it's still meeting what they were intending to do. They want people to get forgiveness. They're not pulling the rug out from under you. But some of the strategies, if you're trying to get aggressive on it, probably aren't going to work under the uh, under the forgiveness application just released. Yeah, yeah, yeah very, very good. And I'm uh, as you'll see, Matt and I looking around and scattering around. We're um, trying to field our questions, make sure that we have the right questions. Um, for the show, and we're going to just kind of tag team, do our best there. If you've got, if you're a live caller right now and trying to ask a question, please be patient. I may jump over there and just quickly get your question from you, um, and then I'll just repeat it online because we're recording this for YouTube as well. They wouldn't hear your voice. We're not that high tech. Someday. Um, yeah. So, um, all right. Well, Matt, can I tell you what I think? 
the steps to forgiveness are based on yeah. the SBA application, and then we'll start diving mm-hmm. deep into the questions. May I be so okay. bold? Yes. Okay. Yes, let's, let's do it. Here, Give here. us the framework. Okay. How does Mark right. Kohler get forgiveness? Okay. First, first accept responsibility for what you did. <laughs> yeah. Second. Oh, uh, yeah. No, uh, right. <laughs> um, uh, okay. We won't go there. That's a bigger topic. Threw you a curve yeah, there. I, All right. and, yeah, you threw me for a curve. I'm multitasking here. There's so much to say. Um, okay. So the first thing is what I'm telling clients is, um, is make, make sure you've got the right amount to begin with. Because if you're starting with a faulty number, it's going to change yeah. the dynamics of your application and your questions first. Now, some of you are like, well, of course I got the right number. My bank helped me. No, 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 no. Your accountant may have messed up. You may have messed it up. The bank may have, may have messed it up. And by the way, in the early two to three weeks of the program on that first round, like Matt said, it was the spirit of the law. Everybody was just like, well, do we add FICA? Do we not add yeah. FICA? Do we do this? Do that? So we have a lot of people that – unintentionally got more money than they should have, maybe we get it all forgiven. Maybe there's a way to save it. We don't know. Mm -hmm. The first thing is when you start this process, confirm with a third party. Don't you do the math and go, oh, yeah, I'm sure I got the right number. No, I'm meaning get someone else to look at your number and make sure you're not jacked up. That's number one. Yeah. Yeah. And let's say the number one culprit on people who messed it up are people who included 1099s. Okay. 1099s were never supposed to be included. They got, there's a lot of misinformation about it. People were including them. We said don't do it, but we've seen a lot of loans come through at people. They got a loan amount. They based payroll on 1099s they paid people. You're not going to get paid on those. So you're not going to get forgiveness on it when you're paying it out. So that means that inflated loan amount, you're going to need to pay it back to SBA. Absolutely. Or I should say Now, to I'm just going to run through the list. Yeah, and I'm just going to run through the list here and, and see if that – then we can go back and hit the need because we can get bogged down in each of these steps. Number one, confirm you have the right amount. Number two, print out the SBA application. Have it in front of you as you go through this over the next few weeks, not on the seventh week and fifth day of your application process. Start now. Running the numbers, have the SBA app with you. We can talk more about that. Number three, you're going to worry about the 75% payroll spend rule. Now, for sole proprietorships and S-Corps, the rule's different. We're going to have a, build a lot of questions there. And what's going to qualify for the 75%? All the above. Mm-hmm. That's the third step is that rule. Now, some people are calling that rule number one. We're calling it step number three. Because, again, we want to make sure we have the right number. You've got the app in front of you. Step number three is to really deal with rule number one, if you will. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Then, <laughs> next is rule number two, or step number four according to us, is looking at the employee count rule. What was your employee count before? Were you a sole proprietor? Did you have 500 employees? Or what are, where are you at? So we want to make sure that you understand the employee count rule, which periods you're going to use for your analysis. That's an application as well. And that would be called test two, but step four for us. Step five is, and maybe test three, is you've got to look at the average pay percentage by employees. And it's per employee. There's a schedule. It's part of the application because you can't bring someone on and pay them a different rate because you're being cheap. It's the, I guess, the spirit of that rule. Matt, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all yeah. right. And now, I, I don't and know then, that, yeah. yeah. Keep going. I'll give my commentary here in a minute. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I'm just giving steps. I'm just giving steps. And then I'm yeah. going to say step number six, and I'll leave it at this, because there's really three big tests. There's the 75%, the employee count, and the compensation. So that's, those are the three tests. But there's, to us, there's more steps involved in making sure you hit those tests properly. The last step I'm going to say, Matt, is documentation. I'm just going to make sure you need to start that now, but you need to realize the final step yeah. when you submit that application is making sure you have all the right documentation. And some people are hell-bent going, well, it's got to be in a separate bank account, and I'm only paying it from there. Fine, that might help you in documentation, but it's not required, and we'll go through those questions too. So, okay, those math yeah. are my, those are my six steps, if you can live with it. Let's see, one, okay. two, okay, all right. Four, and I, five, I think what, six, 
I just had to count got them because I, I'm an accountant. I got to make sure I got my six steps. <laughs> okay. This is going to be Get a blog. Get your calculator out. I didn't see you yeah. pull your calculator out. Right. Okay, you can handle that, that calculation in your head. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's hit a couple of important points. Though I think right now, now this application is out, you have got to read the application. Okay. This is the critical form you need to be familiar with to get this forgiven. Otherwise, you're going to get sunk with debt. And you really need to understand this right now. What's going to be required? What documents? What are going to be filling out in these boxes? There's a worksheet involved in it that's going to take some math. It kind of looks like a tax return a little bit, okay? And you're going to do this thing once and be done with it. You're never going to do a PPP form again, hopefully. You know, we don't ever get in a situation like this again. So... Um, but be proactive now. You do not want to be looking at this at the end of eight weeks and like, what is included here? You know, I've read some articles, but I didn't really actually look at the form. So get engaged in the form. Make sure you understand what's going to be in there. There's going to be one or two things in there, and it's different for everybody that's going to trip you up. You want to be ready and know that in your business. What's the one or two things that could trip me up here that if I knew during the eight-week period I could have planned around? But I didn't do anything. I read it at the end of eight weeks because I'm like, well, I'll just do it when the bank gives it to me, and surely they'll help me get it done. Nope. Remember the droves of people that came to get this loan and how hard it was and how if you're probably in a queue right now, you haven't got a loan yet, you're in a queue at a big bank maybe, and you're like still crossing your fingers it's going to go through. Wait till we get to the forgiveness part of it. It's going to be harder to get this thing forgiven than it is to get the loan. That's for dang sure. So be engaged yeah. on it. Make sure you understand the form first. I like it. All right. um, I also want to apologize apologize for my office appearance here. This is my – you know, everybody's staying at home now, and yeah. projects have come out of the woodworks. And so I was like, where do I set up my camera today? And I've got Pottery Barn curtains to hang up later tonight. Um, <laughs> that's what's going on over there. And um, you know what? Just two side notes that were really interesting. I have a, a student in one of my college classes that, teach, that works at Lowe's. She's like record setting. They're like blowing yeah. two to three times their average sales because people are at home doing the projects. Another interesting one, I was talking to a kid that was doing summer sales of Dish Network, and I thought, yeah. oh, my gosh, you guys must be busy. He's like, everybody's home and bored. They're loading up on their dish. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap. He's like, record year. So it's weird. I know some yeah. of you are like, this couldn't be worse. I talked to a restaurant owner yesterday that's just holding on their fingernails, and then I've got these summer sales guys that are just – every door they hit, they're like, sell, sell. You know, it's just weird. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to hit, let's hit some questions. All right. And this will, I think, vet the yeah. six steps in these three tests. Is that right? Okay. This is from yep. John in Hawaii. Aloha. And we love John. And he said, um, Mark, I've got two different PPPs for two different businesses, five time zones away, Hawaii and Texas. Um, they were uh, and employees in each, and they were approved. One was funded in April. The other one was funded yesterday. Uh, what are the pluses and minuses? Should I reject one of them or whatever? John, here's mm -hmm. the only scary part. Keep both of them. You got them if they're, if yeah. they're legit. Yeah. The only concern you're going to have, and my, my, my concern, Matt, is that I don't want him to take two paychecks. He should only be getting paid in one place, or are you okay with him getting paid in both? Yeah, for himself, I would only take one paycheck. I'd look at the one you've been getting a higher payment on over the years. I would draw from that one, obviously. Um, of course, since he's got employees in both, that's great. I mean, you're probably not over the 500 employee limit, so totally fine. Um, but yeah, absolutely, I I totally agree. It's just going to be the double dipping on the owner employee. Now, this is one thing that's interesting in the PPP application. There is a separate line item for the owner-employee's compensation. So whatever yours is, and some of you are sole owners, you're, you're, the only line is going to be the owner-employee compensation. Now, it still adds up in all the payroll costs when you go to get your forgiveness, when you make your forgiveness request, but the SBA is wanting the banks to look at that as a separate line item. And so it is going to be scrutinized a little bit more, I think, for the owner-employee's still forgivable. But um, now we haven't seen guidance that says you can't take from both, quite honestly. But uh, this is, again, one yeah. of the spirit of the law things that I think you're going to see is if you're a small business owner and you're getting pay or profit out of two different businesses that could each on their own qualify for PPP, they're not going to let you double dip. Or there yeah. might be a middle-of-the-road approach that says as long as you don't exceed the 100000 combined total compensation per employee between the two companies. 
Now, what we're going to be doing during this process is trying to answer questions that we've already seen come through. We may not read your name off uh, here online, forgive us, because uh, mm -hmm. some of these questions are very similar. Um, so the question there that's going to come up again and again, can I have two PPs? The answer is yes. Let's make sure each one is a valid application with valid employees. But if you are the only employer, you have two sole proprietorships, and you're trying to pull profit from one of those, both, you would have problems again. Just because they're sole proprietors is the same problem as, as John in this situation, maybe taking two W-2s. So just be careful of you benefiting from two PPPs. As long as you're paying employees, I, I think yeah. you're going to be okay. This, the second point that I like, Matt, that he just brought up was this compensation issue. There's been a number of questions on this, so let, let's hit it right now. This is one where we are correcting some of our advice. We thought it was going to be okay for some owners, shareholders, owner-shareholders, not in a sole proprietorship, but an owner-shareholder of an S-corp or a C-corp yeah. to take a larger salary as long as you were under the hundred grand. I think we're going to see a problem there. So, Matt, while we're on this compensation line that you're yeah. talking about, what do, you, what do you think about raising? Yeah. Yeah, keep in mind the max comp any one employee can get. And in the PPP application, you have to list each employee that's got paid payroll in this eight-week period, and you have to list what their wage compensation has been, their cash compensation is what they're calling it. And so um, – and that's the same thing for owner-employee. Now, the max anyone can get is 15385 bucks. That's for any employee of yours. That's basically – eight weeks out of 52 weeks for 100000 annualized, essentially. So the 15385 is the most any one person can get. Now, if your regular salary was for last year in 2019 was like, well, I only would have taken, you know, 10 grand over the eight-week period. Um, can I just throw another 5385 in as a bonus? Nope. The SBA added in a rule in the forgiveness application that says the owner, the specific to the owner-employee saying, um, you cannot uh, – you basically have to match your last year's compensation. Any bonus or payments over what you use to get the PPP application, your 2019 comp, is, uh, uh, is not going to work. And so now there's still a question, can I do that for employees? Possibly. But owner-employees, it's not going to work, not going to fly. Now, and so I'm going to restate what Matt just said so you all get it in a simple sentence. Do not give yourself a raise during the eight weeks. Our spirit of the law yeah. was that if you were going to, you'd need to maintain it throughout the entire year at least. So SBA says we don't care. Even if you maintain it, not during the eight weeks, no raise for owners. Now, could you put your spouse on payroll for legitimate work? Put your kids on payroll for legitimate work? Sure. Mm -hmm. But don't give yourself a raise. That would be a better or a smarter alternative in my opinion. Okay. Yep. Now, here's the, ne the next comment that is going to open um, – this unemployment question. You do you want to go a every other one, or do you want to just do your questions? Oh, no, sorry, man. Yeah, <laughs> I know you got a bunch of questions. That's like, how come you're asking all the questions? You were just talking, so I was like, I was prepping the next question. But, um, do you have one on unemployment? Because what I'm seeing is so many people oh, are trying I, to there's a bunch. Hit that one. I've, I've got one on the – Okay. I've got one on the payroll in the eight-week period because there's been a lot on that one. So let, let's hit the unemployment okay. one, though. I think it's kind of the double-dipping unemployment question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people here that are asking essentially this. For themselves and then for their spouse, let's do themselves first. They're saying, well, I applied for PPP and unemployment because I didn't know which one I'd get. Yeah. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fine. You didn't know what you were going to get. But – now you've got your unemployment and you've got the PPP. And you're thinking, um, okay, I'll stay on unemployment as long as I can, <laughs> then I'll start the PPP, and then I'll pay myself, then I'll go back on unemployment. I'm just going to say this across the board. Do not do it. There, you will screw it up. And the fact is you shouldn't even be applying for unemployment if the PPP is trying to keep the business going. By default, you're saying, well, I'm not paying myself. It doesn't matter. You're the owner and operator of a business. Now, in some states – they're giving kind of a work, kind of a work credit half. You can get in California. I know you can get unemployment for being uh, uh, employed part time. There are some exemptions there, but you better do your research yourself. Make sure you get a third party professional helping you through that unemployment. Because if you take unemployment when you got the PPP, or vice versa, 
it could be criminal. It's not going to be good. And Mnuchin mm-hmm. was just did a press release on this yesterday. So, Matt, what's your – and we'll talk about your spouse here in a minute. But for you, the owner, there's no gray area, I don't think. What's your take, Matt, especially with this yeah. press conference? I think – I think for if you took PPP and you were on employment, you're going to have to jump off of it. Get off of unemployment, say you're employed. Now, let's say PPP dries up in eight weeks and you're back to crash and burn. The business is not doing anything. There's no revenue now to pay yourself or anyone else. It's not, it's not going to work. Sure, you could possibly jump back on unemployment. But that is a risky thing to do. Definitely do not stay on employment and, and start taking the payments, you know, taking a salary or basically saying, you know, if you're a sole prop and then asking for forgiveness on your PPP at the end of this, um, I just think that's a recipe for disaster. You're employed. If you're taking PPP, you're working. Um, obviously, you're not if you're claiming unemployment. Don't try and double up on both. It'll come back to haunt you. Trust me. Yeah, and I like the keyword Matt said there, no revenue. See, you may say, well, we're losing money. I'm not paying myself now. Yeah. doesn't matter. The key word yeah. that I like, Matt, that he said was no revenue. So if your business, you try to revive it with your PPP money and there's still no revenue, okay, I'm not going to be up, go on unemployment. But that business better be done or else it mm-hmm. can be ugly. Now, McDonald's question was the spouse. So let me um, – Let's just okay. bring this question up, and I think it's going to open this door to the spouse unemployment, too, and we'll be done with it. My wife's employer informed, informed us that he is opening up the office on June 1st, and his PPP starts on that date. Since I'm currently cool. working, so we would like my wife to start two weeks later. This way she can take care of the kids and put them in summer camp. Her employer is fine. Oh, she is – I think we would oh, – Okay. Is she okay? Her employer is fine with this, but informed that she won't get paid anything during these two weeks and also lose her unemployment because he is willing to be in, informing the state of her start date. Is this correct? Is there a way to continue unemployment checks for the two weeks? Okay, now McDonald brings up a whole litany of the spouse and unemployment topics. So, let, and so for some of you personally, even without a business, Matt, let me give my first take and then. Mm-hmm. In this situation, this is the situation that the press conference was about yesterday. If you've been offered a job, and here's your start date, and in fact, it's your job you had before, and you're getting a written offer to yeah. say, this is the day we're starting. If you don't start that day, you cannot claim unemployment, period. They're trying to shut that loophole down. Some people are like, ah, screw it. I don't want the job. I make more on unemployment. Or I'll stay on unemployment for a little while, and I'll come back. Any variation on that. No way. That's what I took from the press conference yesterday, Matt. Agree? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what the law is and always has been on unemployment. <laughs> you only yeah. unemployment yeah. when you don't have a job. So if, you're, if your job says, all right, you can come back to work now, you know, we're opening back up, or maybe it's a small business you work for that has PPP money, and they're like, all right, we can bring you back. Okay, you got to go back. Um, and it's, I'm sorry, and I, I know some people have health concerns and in, in that too, and and I don't know how that's going to get sorted out, though, but um, what I would say is unless you're like a high-risk person or in a high-risk environment, I think you're going to have a hard time fighting that denial of unemployment. So, um, but yeah. Now, here's for the business owners, though, because remember, there's this rule out there that says you have to bring back that the same number of employees you had pre-pandemic during this eight-week period, or they give you up to June 30th to basically restore your workforce to the same number of employees. And if you don't bring back the same number of people, you get a reduction in your forgiveness request. Okay, I've got an article on this. There's been a couple questions on it. But if you offer employees back, let's say you had 10 employees before the pa- pandemic hit. You know, in early 2020, you had 10 employees. Eight-week period hits, you have six employees that actually come back to work or that are still working. When you go to get your forgiveness request on PPP, the SBA makes you reduce your forgiveness request down to only 60% of the eligible amount because you didn't bring back all your employees. Now, they let you, they give you another date of June 30th to say even if during the eight weeks you didn't bring them back, but by June 30th they brought all 10 back, then don't worry about it. You don't have the reduction. Or we'll take the number you had at, at June 30th. Let's say it was nine by then. Then you have 90% you brought back and you get 90% of your forgiveness request honored. So 
Um, the one thing they said, so I'm, I'm trying to explain that rule very quickly, it's a complicated one, is if you make a written offer to an employee to come back to work and they don't come back, that employee is not counted against you in this rule for, for reduction for not bringing back employees. So businesses are going to be motivated to bring back their employees, send out a written offer, and there's going to be some documentation on that that you didn't accept it. So if you're on the other end of that, you know, it's going to be a problem for your unemployment moving forward. And they do chase down people for restoring those and paying them back. They have over in the past. So be careful if you're on the other end. For the business owners, advice, put a, you have to do it in writing. When you go to request this forgiveness, that's one of the documents you're going to have to offer up. If you say, I didn't bring back everybody, but these few people I made a written offer to and they didn't come back, you're going to want a letter um, um, to each one of those employees that was sent that you can document that you made a written offer for them to come back. Okay. I Now, Matt, the only thing I would say to that, let's summarize it. Everybody take a breath. I, Matt and I speak two different languages. Sometimes I'm That was a, a big one. I know. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, no, it's all good. What Matt brought up is very related to McDonald's because it's the other side of the equation. In McDonald's world, his wife is like, I don't want to go to work for two more weeks. I'm enjoying it here. Yeah. I've got unemployment. But his boss is like, I got this PPP8 window. window. If you're not going to come back, I've got to hire someone else. And that's what they're facing. And Matt, I would think an email is going to be acceptable if it's re- received. Like you say, please indicate you received this email yeah. of your offer. If you if you don't get a return receipt that they read your email, I would start yeah. turning to a, a mail or a personal courier or something that, to make sure that they got that written offer. Because the employee is going to say, I never got a written offer. Ah, yeah, you need to – I would get signed mail, registered mail, or an email that they verify, or even send a FedEx. If these are highly compensated employees, get a, a receipt on a one-day – UPS mail. I yeah. don't know. You know, just do something. Yeah, the guideline okay. just said written offer. They said written offer. That was it. I don't know what they're going to require in that, but an email is a written yeah. offer technically. So. Yeah, and but you would assume that in any contract relationship, it has to be received. So just saying, oh, I threw out all these written offers. Yeah, who got them? What? You know, so the unemployment offices are going to be fighting the. <laughs> the gamers on unemployment, SBA is going to be fighting the business owners game in the system on their side. Um, okay, now there's yeah. one last variable in all this. McDonald, let's say McDonald has his wife employed in his business. This is a tricky one because he may say, I'm not going to give my wife a written offer. She can stay on unemployment. I may hire someone else. Well, technically that might float. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to go back to your employee count rule. Because if you went to get the yeah. PPP based on last year's payroll with your spouse on payroll, now the spouse is able to get unemployment because of that. Cool. And you were able to get a bigger PPP because of that. That's cool. You better replace your wife with another employee if you want him or her to get unemployment. So be careful to un- the 75% rule, the employee count rule. But I guess my moral of the story would be if your spouse wants to stay on unemployment, you don't have to hire them back. Just be careful what the ramifications mm-hmm. of that are. That's my take, Matt. Would you agree? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. I all got right. a question from Your Laura. Question now. Okay. Jeez. Half the show in, I get to ask a question. Um, <laughs> so Laura's got a bunch of questions and a bunch of complicated questions. But the first one's really uh, – there's a couple of really important ones, I think, that a lot of people are asking. The first is about this eight-week period, and she says, um, can you please address any of the revisions to the start and stop period as it relates to the eight-week period? Are we being misled in understanding that the SBA may have relaxed this restriction? For example, what about pay periods that began just before receipt or access to the PP funds? And what about a pay period that ends just after the eight-week cutoff? You know, or how are we going to count that? The, S, the, the PPP loan and the, the code says – these, you must have expenses in the eight-week period that are incurred and paid in the eight-week period. And there's been all this confusion about what the heck incurred and paid means. Now, there is guidance on this, on payroll costs and on the other approved expenses. So if the expense – so here's the thing on payroll. They said, we're going to let you use an alternative payroll period. Let's say you got your loan on well, – let me look at a calendar here. Let's say you got your loan on May 18th, 
or no, no, let me see. Let's, let's say you got your, your PPP loan funded on May 13th. And, um, and so now your eight-week period starts. It's 56 days, okay, eight weeks on May 13th. What the SBA is saying is, you know what? If your next pay period doesn't start until May 18th, we're going to let you really count on May 18th for your payroll forgiveness portion. So let's just start an alternate eight-week period starting on May 18th. Okay, perfect. Now I'm starting now, incurred now and paid. Also, now let me say this too. This is based on regular track record of payroll on certain yes. weeks. You can't just arbitrarily go, well, I'm going to wait to start payroll again because it's convenient yeah. for you. You, you gotta, you gotta, you've got to, in order to choose that date, you've got to be able to show that's when it, mm -hmm. we just got money on a weird day. Okay. Yeah. So now what you're doing, and this is for biweekly people, this guidance was specifically for biweekly people. By the, by the way, the AICPA is requesting this for people who pay on like you know, two times a month and monthly payroll. They're trying to get a similar rule on this. But this is specifically for biweekly payroll, biweekly payroll in the guidelines. So now I'm at May 18th. Let's say you're paying every two weeks. Well, we're going to get to the end of this, right? And I'm going to have incurred four pay periods in the eight-week cycle. But I, the, at the last one, I'm not going to pay it in time, right? I'm, usually most people are paying their payroll, let's say, a week later or a few days after the pay period ends. So how is that incurred and paid? Well, the SBA said, mm -hmm. we know it's gonna, that, that last one's going to be outside of the pay period. But as long as you're paying it under the, your regular schedule, we know it's outside the eight weeks, you're still going to be able to count it. What does that effectively mean? In this rule that they added, you're going to be able to get, for those doing biweekly payroll, which is the most common, you're going to get four pay periods in there. So that's the best explanation. That probably covers half the questions on this pay period is this alternative pay period. Now, for those that are paying, like, let's say, the first and the 15th or two times a month, um, which is another alternative way, there has been no guidance on that. <laughs> the AICP is, AICPA, which is the Organization for CPAs, has been addressing that, trying to get a similar schedule for that, um, for those paying under payroll on that method. We'll see. Okay. Now, I just want to note for the listeners, even though I'm only let Matt ask one question from his emails, <laughs> he has definitely had longer answers. So <laughs> he's, he's milking true. those questions. I'm taking on the hard ones, so though. Hey. That, that was a tough one. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> Bull crap. I don't buy that. All right. Okay. Here is another question that is a common misconception we've had day in and day out through this whole process. And Scott is the poor guy that asked this question. I won't even say his last name or where he's from, <laughs> but he knows. He said, I have an S and he says, I love the show. You guys do a great job. So Scott, I'm not, I'm not going to throw you under the bus on this one. He says, and see what's the problem with this first two sentences. I have an S-Corp and I have a question about my eligibility for the P3 loan. Love it. I like that he called it the P3, 3P, triple P. Yeah, Love 3P. it. 3P, yeah, Just, nice. Oh, 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 we get in early into the next sentence. I have a 1099 employee that I use each day to run our route and pay him 900 a week. I don't even want to say what type of business it is because I don't want to slander Scott here in any way, shape, or form. Okay, so Scott, here's the tough love. There is no such thing as a 1099 employee. That's like, I don't even have a good example. But I won't even look for one right now because it will be a bad one on the, off the cuff. But I'm just going to say it's yeah. like a spotted white leopard uh, with, you know, whatever, unicorn. They just don't happen. Yeah. Because either they're a 1099 sub or they're an employee. So he's asking, am I eligible for the P3? Sure, you're eligible, but no 1099 people are in your calculation. Well, they really act like an employee. Then you better freaking have them on workers' comp and paying them like an employee, or you're going to get in bigger trouble anyway. And here's the scary part for Scott. I've written articles on this. He says, I have a 1099 employee that we use to run, drive a route for our, employee, for our, our business. Do you know what liability you've just taken on with this guy driving yeah. around? Oh, my gosh. If they get in a car accident, you don't have workers' comp. Your general liability is going to maybe leave you hanging. And what do you think he's going to do, the yeah. girl that's driving this route for you? They're going to go, I really work for this guy. I, I'm not an independent contractor. This is my only job. Oh, my gosh. They could claim unemployment on you and jack you up. Scott, everybody out there, here's the two tough loves, 1099 
workers have nothing to do with a, your PPP application. And if you got your PPP application based on some of that, you better bring them onto payroll or get back the money because it's not going to get forgiven. And number two, yeah. for any of you, this is a wake-up call. Get off this crazy train. Quit paying these people as 1099s when really they're employees. And you'll say, Mark, you don't know what it costs, and it's workers' comp, and it's matching, and I can't get good people, and they won't work for me if they're not paid under the table, or a 1099. I'm sorry. It's the way you do business, and it's yeah. going to backfire. Yeah. We have seen people lose everything because the risk you are taking is off the chart. So, Scott, yeah. I hate to say I'm sorry. You know what that got me well, thinking about was um, uh, when you were talking about that Ozzy. That's a, that crazy train. That's such a good song, Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> oh, I love that song. I'm gonna listen to that after the show. Uh-huh. Um, okay, <laughs> that's all I had to add on that all one. Right. But I got a good question from Mark here. This is from okay. uh, not Mark Kohler. There's another Mark. Um, okay. He asked. He says, "I received a PPP loan on May 1st. When I was calculating." full-time employees on the PPP application, I used headcount from an ADP report rather than calculating the hour and overstated my staff by 30%. Oh. Yeah. How can I update this? Please advise. Okay. Now, for those of you that did the PPP application, you know the 3P. <laughs> there was a section on there where you included the number of employees. Here's the nice thing. The forgiveness application does not go back and reference that at all. I don't even know what the heck they're doing with that number that was on the application when you got 3P. Um, So instead, uh, what you're using when you fill out the forgiveness application is they're letting you calculate the number of employees you had pre-pandemic before you you got the loan, essentially. And they're giving you the two time periods, which is kind of like a February to June of 2019 or January, February of 2020 that you get to use, either one, pick the time period where you have less employees, and that's the number you're using on the forgiveness application. You're not even pulling what was on the original SBA PPP app. So that's right. a nice thing. And let me say it this way. Yeah, here's another way of saying it. You get a do-over. So if you screwed up the employee yeah. account on your 3P app, when you go to the forgiveness, now here's the thing. You have to verify the period you choose for your numerator or denominator. So it's going to be your, your denominator. What do I, I take my current employees divided by what period? And then so if you went to math in high school or college, the denominator <laughs> is those two periods you can choose from. So you're going to have to choose yeah. those periods and then verify what the number was there. So this is in, in Mark's situation. You can do over, but you can't just pick this number out of thin air. You're going to have to be able to verify it, and the bank is going to have a duty of looking at your 941 reports during the period you chose, figure out the FTE, that's the full-time equivalent, and then do it during your eight-week period and find out if you're okay, what written offers did you make, which ones were rejected, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Next question. Regina says, could you talk about self-employed with no employees processed to qualify for PPP? I applied and was declined. What time is the open form? <laughs> and I, I didn't find it on the newsletter. I'm sorry. I thought I put up in the top right corner, 12 noon. And I actually, now that I think about it, I think the open form date and time was wrong on the newsletter. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, it's on. For all of you listening now, obviously you found it. Um, okay. It's always in the next week's newsletter as a follow-up, too. And this will be all over social media and YouTube. And, and it'll be. Okay. Here's the deal. I wrote an article titled, How to Get the PPP as a Sole Proprietor. It's on our blog through the law firm and my site and at entrepreneur.com. Thousands of downloads. It's been very popular. It's really straightforward for the small business owner with no employees, sole proprietor. That's all of you out there that get a 1099, you're a single member LLC, you're whatever. Now, here's the second thing. Why you got denied could have been a bank process rather than the SBA process because what the bank needed from you was a 2019 tax return. I bet if I was on a phone call with you, Regina, I bet your application was either incomplete or was not based on a valid number and, and documentation for 2019. And if you say to me, and this is what the phone calls we're having, they'll go, yeah, I just gave the bank my 1099, or I just gave the bank my bank statement, or I did. No, that's why you got rejected. Regina, apply again. There's still money there. Apply yeah. again. But this time, go in, 
with your 2019 tax return. Well, Mark, I don't have it. Then don't apply. <laughs> You've got to have it to apply. There's no way around it. So yeah. deal with it. There, are, there is guidelines. You, as long as you certify your Schedule C and sign off on it, even though it was filed, they're letting you still actually file and get your PPP based on that. That's dangerous. You better make sure that baby that thing matches out when you actually file it. And if you're going to go to that headache, you might as well just get the return done anyways. But um, so keep that in mind. There have been people getting funded on that. Some banks are skittish about being wanting to do that though. Um, and I'll say this: there is, oh, we're down to the last oh. hundred billion available for PPP funds. So you yeah. got to be acting quick to get to reapply. Yeah. Probably go to a smaller bank. I love the way Matt said that. We're down to our last hundred billion. I know it sounds like <laughs> we're down to our last gallon of milk. You know, there's only a dozen. Yeah, yeah there's the only hundred billion know? left. Yeah, but you know what's Dude, funny is you know the first the first three hundred billion went in like eleven days, and the second yeah. and the second round of three hundred billion is it started going fast at first, but then it slowed down because there's all these questions on forgiveness and some of the issues. People were like, "What well, do I really want to take the money?" And and now it's picking back up though. Actually, so I've been I've been tra- watching the trend. Yeah. So. Well, okay, um, Matt, I have a question for you. You're gonna like this one. Okay. Give me a okay. Give me a shot. I think this means this is a hard one that Mark doesn't want to field. Okay, I'll take. I'll try. No, no, dude. You're gonna. gonna (laughs) Okay, is it a layup? Give me a layup, please. You're gonna Venmo me some money for my Subway lunch here. Okay, it's from a fellow exhausted CPA. It's from Anna or Anna. Uh, With one N, I usually go Anna. With two N's, I usually go Anna. But so I'm gonna go with Anna, fellow exhausted CPA. I think no one went by Anna until Frozen. But okay, all right. Yeah, maybe it's a frozen thing. Okay, I want to thank you for keeping us CPAs up to date with your webinars and lives. I love you guys. Well, thank you, Anna. She says, in Matt's self-directed IRA videos, he gives us an example of how an IRA can own rental property in Florida, but the IRA owner can't benefit from it. Can the owner pay rent for a week if he or she wants to use it to the IRA and not be disqualified? Wow, we got a non-PPP question. Woof, no I PPP. thought you'd like it, right? I love it. You're right. You I'll are you right. I idea. do like this one. Okay. okay. Now, for all of you listening that are like, hey, I found these guys listening, trying to learn about Paycheck Protection Program, let me give a little commercial interruption here and teach you something new <laughs> and cool, okay? This is why people don't real estate. We're making you money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can own real estate with your IRA. Okay, we've been advising clients for years on this. You can invest in small businesses and private companies and precious metals and oh. other alternative assets with an IRA. Okay? And we do that at Directed IRA. Go to directedira.com. That's our company. We're a trust company and custody accounts that help people do that. So Anna's question is, all right, I can buy real estate with this IRA. Now, remember, it has to be investment property. Your retirement account, your IRA or 401k can't buy real estate. You're going to personally use it. It needs to be held as an investment. So let's say it's maybe an Airbnb or it's just a regular long-term rental and it's leased out. Great. Your IRA gets the rental income. You're making money. You're building up your account. The real estate goes up in value. You're like, this is way better than a mutual fund. I'm better at this. I like real estate. Okay, great. That's what self-directed IRAs are all about. Again, directedira.com, you can learn more about it. But there is a restriction. You can't use or have benefit of the property. And so honest question is common because people are like, all right, I can't use our benefit of the property, and I always get this with like an Airbnb or a VRBO type property. But they're like, well, what if no one's staying there? Can I just stay there and use it? No, you can't have use or benefit. It violates the rules for your IRA. Well, what if I paid the same amount that anyone else would pay? Okay, but now you're transacting with your IRA because you're paying your IRA for using the property. That still causes what's called a prohibited transaction. But we got a lot of content on that. I've got a book. Um, it's the number one book in the field, sold 25,000 copies on it. Lots of stuff on our websites, too, if you want to learn about how to own real estate or other alternative assets in your self-directed IRA. You're right, Mark. That was a great All question. Right. Thank you. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be like George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven when he goes to meet Brad Pitt and sell him on their, their idea to go steal money. And they're sitting mm-hmm. around the poker table. He goes, I'm going to call that and raise it five grand. He freaks out the table. All right. Okay, I'm going to raise your answer. Okay, mm, everybody okay. out there, this is so good. We recorded a full one-day live summit on all of yeah. this. Actually, it was a day and a half, day and a half. 
And yeah. it was all about how to do this IRA 401k stuff and yada, yada, yada. And it, we did it about a month ago. It's 99 bucks on sdirahandbook.com. Get over there, buy it. Anna, you would love it. And it's, it's freaking awesome. And everybody out there that even yeah. wants to do it, 99 bucks. it's a page turner, if I may say. You're going to love it. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and I've got a fun I – I got two fun points. All right. At the summit, okay. this is why I was going to raise you five grand. I'm going to raise it up right here. In the summit, I gave an example of a little LLC that my family is creating with my kids and two new in-laws, kids. I've got a son-in-law and daughter-in-law now with all of our Roth IRAs. Their Roth IRA. LLC is yeah. all Roth IRAs. And we are going to go down the street, and I was going to talk to the little uh, soup kitchen – for lack of a better word, little restaurant that was kind of struggling. And that during the coronavirus, right, I was like, I'm going to go down yeah, and see yeah. what's going on because he's open, he's closed, I think they're going to shut down. And I said, my IRAs could go in and partner with this little restaurant that sells soup, soup and sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Guess who I talked to yesterday? Just throwing that out, Mr. Sorensen. Nice, all right. You're starting to negotiate. I had a look. I did. I had a little meeting with the uh, owner yesterday and said, are you open to some collaboration and some funds to keep things rolling? And I got a little marketing mm-hmm. expertise maybe. And he's like, I'd love to talk. Boom, my Roth IRA All right. negotiations right now. Okay. Okay. So I thought that cool. was pretty awesome. So I forgot my I like that. Comment. See, that's so the things really you good. can do. And I, you know, I was on, I, I was on, um, I've had some TV stuff lately and talking about how you can invest in your own community. You know, small businesses right now are struggling. And with Directed IRA, we've seen a lot of clients use their retirement accounts to invest and buy into small businesses. You know, there are small businesses in their community that need money. And these IRAs are kind of taking, finding an opportunity to win-win, right? The business needs money to stay afloat. But they're buying a piece of the equity of these small businesses um, and using their retirement accounts to do it. So cool strategy, lots, lots to learn there. Um, oh, wow. I got a good one here, too. Matt, go ahead, Doug. Okay. Your turn. All right. I got a question from Heather. Um, she says, my husband's business is an LLC taxes and S-Corp. Um, thanks, caller and air. I'm also an employee of the business. Our health insurance premiums are being paid by the company. Um, and then and she says, reduced on the W-2. Will these health insurance premiums be part of the 25% loan forgiveness um, or essentially part of the 75% forgiveness? The answer is it'll be part of the 75% payroll costs. Health insurance premiums here in an S corporation are added in under that are paid by the company, which is what you're doing it right. You're doing you know, it's paid by the company, are added into the 75% payroll costs. So you'll be able to count those. They'll actually be in the 75% payroll cost bucket, which is better because remember you can do as much. You can have 100% of those costs forgiven. So you'll use that in the payroll cost bucket. It will not have to go in the 25% of other eligible expenses bucket. That's nice. Okay. Uh, this is from Wheels Up. It says, our accountant charged us 2500 to process our idol. Is this illegal? Uh, no, it's not illegal. And many people are setting up a consultation with us for just an hour or two to help guide them through some things. I think 2500 is a little steep. <laughs> we haven't charged anybody that much. Unless you might have a complicated business. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You could have a, your yeah. stuff could have been a wreck. But yeah, you know, I don't know why it'd be illegal. Yeah, I don't but. know. No, it's not illegal. And in fact, I'm recommending many of you reach out to your accountant, your tax lawyer. I got in a conversation today with a client that was a little frustrated that he's been a client for a long time, and he felt he should have got in faster with our team. And I told him we're doing the best we can. And I, so we are, and we, and if you need a consultation, call, get on KKOSLawyers.com. You can put in a contact me team. will be in touch right away, but I wouldn't pay. I think I would recommend not paying a flat fee or a percentage to have anybody help you just pay them hourly to have them help you run your numbers, do your application. And maybe in your situation wheels up, they needed to do a bunch of bookkeeping or some tax prep to get you prepared for the application, but it's not illegal. You're all good. Um, Gosh, I have. Uh, I got a question from EJ. Oh, you had a good comment. All right, let me read my question. You can, uh, um, you can, you can let that marinate. See if your question comes back. Uh, This is from EJ in New Jersey. He said, "I received a three thousand. By the way, he said hello from New Jersey. One of the positive, 
One positive take on the coronavirus mess is that I discovered your shows. You guys do a great job. Thanks, EJ. Um, if you always start your question out like that, it's more likely we're going to re- read your question and answer it. Because, by the way, there are so many <laughs> questions we we're just not going to get to. <laughs> and I also, I'll just say I'm this. His I, too. I opened it, too. I, I opened it just because I okay. see that. Okay, go good. I'll say this too. Uh, there's a number of questions in here that are kind of like a story and a whole narrative of what's going on in your business. There's no way we can figure out that what that is and read it on the air. You think of me reading that right now so I can understand it and everyone else on the show can understand it. You've got to have a quick paragraph. We should maybe limit words here. But um, EJ's question is he's received a $3,000 IDLE grant. No word yet on the IDLE loan, but he also received a $40,000 3P, PPP. How does my idle grant affect my forgiveness? Is it a direct automatic deduction in the PPP forgiveness such that the maximum forgiveness I can get is 37K, even though I can prove the funds were used for different costs and I didn't essentially double dip? EJ, you're right. If you got a $40,000 PPP and you got 3,000 idle on the PPP forgiveness application, 3P, sorry, um, you must subtract the idle grant money you received automatically there's no even if you used it on separate purposes that could have been qualifying they're not allowing you to double dip on the grant part so you will have that 37 max in your example that you can get ppp forgiveness for 3p Um, now the loan part's another question though that's a separate on the loan part you're not having to reduce your your 3p so if you get the idle loan part that's a different equation that is separate um I can't remember my humorous. I felt little. Uh, I'm trying to buy some time today. There, no? maybe, okay. I know. I, maybe it's meant to be. It was just like it was there, fleeting, and it would have been really funny. But I stuck with the the restaurant deal. Okay, here's um, a great question. This is from Scott in Tennessee. He says, "I S Corp, five employees, got a 50 grand PPP. Love it. Approved for up to 150 mm-hmm. grand idle loan." And he did not get the idle advance. Now, for everybody listening for just a moment, I love what Scott's, he's got it nailed down to a really distinct example, and I love it. 50 grand of PPP, S Corp employees. Looks like everything adds up properly there. Approved for $150,000 idle loan. That's a 30 year, 3.75% interest loan with no collateral or personal guarantee, and no idle advance, which was the $1,000 per employee thing. Now, he could have got the idle advance, which would have been five grand times the five employees. I'm assuming he's counting himself. But anyway, here's where we're at. He says the idle, and Matt and I went through this loan application on the idle, because it's a little scary. It says this idle loan, there's a section that says disbursement, limits on disbursement, sorry, disbursements of assets or limits on distribution of assets. It says the borrower will not, without the prior written consent of SBA, make any distribution of borrower's assets or give any preferential treatment, make any advance directly, and it goes on. And the spirit of this is, I think, the, the important consideration, Scott, because if you read this, this, read this explicitly, it would say, basically, when you get this idle loan, you can't pay yourself anything, ever, you know, until this idle loan's paid off. And I don't think that's the spirit of this loan document. You're able to pay yourself your regular compensation because that's really a distribution of assets. A K-1 distribution would be a distribution of assets. But what I think, the, and Matt, you give me your take, is that what the SBA is trying to do in this loan document is, hey, we're giving you sacred money here. You better not blow it. First of all, stay current. Pay it off as soon as you can. But if you take this and drain it and go buy a rental property or a second home or go just plow it into something cool. That's not the intent of this. In, in fact, in other sections of the loan document, it says it's for operating expenses. Um, but does it mean you can't pay yourself? And no, I don't think that. And I think as long as it's reasonable and you're making your loan payment and it's not to expand or move locations or something dramatic, um, you, when you read the entire two to three page document, that's what I got out of it. But I would tell Scott, be careful, keep it in a separate bank account, and use it for expenses. And then if that means you have more profit in your personal, in the business, fine. But I would not take that money and directly give it to yourself. Let it pay bills. And then if you end up having profit, go ahead. I, that's my take, Matt. What's yours? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, the intent of it is to, to help bridge and, you know, help you cover your economic injury that you've had. So make sure that you're using that money in the business. You know, I don't want to see distributions and paying off personal things or, or you know, or using the money personally outside of what your regular payroll would be and what you've done in the past in terms of distributions or payroll. Um, so, but just be using it in the business to cover the expenses. It's really meant to be, it's not just a regular loan that you can just get and you're just using for whatever purposes you see fit. It's a loan to cover the economic injury and you're certifying that you're using it for certain, for those certain purposes. So, I just be careful on that. That's, that's all. I haven't read through that app and the certifications on Idle, but that's what it's intended for. And right now, I think with SBAs, you know, they get, they've been funded more than ever. They've got more money to dole out. It's all fine and dandy right now. But a year or two later, when this is all done, and they've got all these employees now that they got staffed in their departments, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be auditing this stuff. And you want to make sure your stuff's clean, that you're in good standing. Definitely don't default if you've done some bad things or you've been a little sloppy in how you use the money. That's when you'll definitely your number will pop up and they're going to start looking at what you're doing. So, be careful. You got a good one, Matt. I got one. It's up to you. Okay. I I actually there's a couple questions that have kind of came up on the um, uh, personal property and real property. So I just want to clarify that. Um, the rent. Answer quickly, and I'll try to hit so one the, too before we're done too. Okay. On the rent expense side and the mortgage interest, that can be for personal property. So, of course, we all knew office rent, your, you know, your warehouse, storefront, office, whatever, is going to be an expense that you can include in that 25% bucket of eligible expenses for forgiveness. But it's also clear in the application, personal property is going to be included as well. So, if your business is leasing a copier, or a server, a car, or an auto in the business, those payments are going to be expenses in the 25% bucket as well that are eligible. All the rule works the same way for mortgage interest. So if you're leasing a computer, or sorry, you, you're, you've bought computers or software, or not software, but equipment property um, under a financing agreement through the business, you're going to be able to write off the interest on that part as well for personal property. So look for the personal property items too. Okay, and a question from Naomi. She said, received funding directly deposited into my business account, which happened to all of us. And since I applied for both the idle advance and the PPP, I just needed confirmation as to what I received was the PPP and not the idle or both or what. She says, I called the SBA and Chase, but none were able to confirm, uh, neither were able to confirm with me what I already know. The Chase Bank deposit line says small business NA credit PPP. Um, so I'm assuming it's the PPP loan, um, and that's yeah. the one I'll be applying for forgiveness. Naomi, here's what I would say. Um, for the idle, go back into your bank deposits, and the idle is going to be far less than your PPP because it will be a flat number. It's going to be 1000 per employee, and it should mm. also have an ID that says idle. If you don't see an idle deposit anywhere, assume you didn't get it then. That would be my take. They are not combining both into one deposit. So the PPP is also going to be exactly reflected that amount on your PPP application. So it shouldn't be hard to figure out that was my PPP loan. Look for an idle. If you didn't see an idle, mm. then you're good. So, okay, Matt, I'm going to say this. We've got 90 seconds left. Well, really 30 or so seconds. I just want to say everybody listening, please know if we didn't get to your live call, I am so sorry. You email us. I see there was three or four people to add a question. Just email me and Matt and say, in the subject line, I was a live caller waiting. We will answer those three emails just for you <laughs> because you waited so patiently. Also, I want to say for all of you that could care less about anything else, uh, this podcast freaking rocks, and uh, it's not just about PPP. Matt, any final words? Yes. Yes. Uh, if you found us for 3P or any of these other topics we've been talking about during the stimulus, we have a total library of prior episodes you can listen to on business and tax planning, asset protection, protecting your wealth, how to self-direct your retirement account. I mean, you're a business owner. We're all about living the American dream and giving you tax and legal strategies um, that you can use to improve your business and your life. So we're here. Check us out. We'll be back with more of these topics on stimulus. And we'll be breaking into the other regular, just 
everyday topics of business, Thanks tax, and asset protection um, in future upcoming shows. We'll see you next American week. Dream. Thanks, Don't everyone. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's eBooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. 